Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune. And this week's episode is John of Gaunt, part one. Welcome back. And thank you all again for understanding the delay with getting this episode out. Not having seen my family for so long, it was wonderful to be around them. My sons were a bit confused at having three extra people in our house, but they adjusted. And my daughter loved having the extra attention. I am hoping there won't be as many breaks through the rest of this series. This is the first episode I've written since the death of Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth on the 8th of September, 2022. As many of you know, I'm an American by birth, but Australian by choice. This means that while I grew up in a country without a monarchy, I have chosen to live in one that is a monarchy. With Elizabeth's passing, Australia, like Canada, Scotland, England, Wales, New Zealand, and other countries of the Commonwealth, have a new head of state. King Charles III, interesting choice, became king immediately upon his mother's passing. There is a growing movement for a republic in Australia, and I am a strong supporter of this. I may have a podcast about people who were almost monarchs, but I think we've reached a point where we should be able to select our own leaders. I think the crown estates should be changed to the state estates, and the monarchy should be slowly phased out. I'm not suggesting a French Revolution-style retirement, but a well-planned process to allow the people of the various countries that currently have Charles III as their head of state to decide what type of government they want. I have joked that it would be fun to have a reality show called Reigning in the Monarchy, or something silly. But really, it is time for those who are royal to become just like the rest of us. I'm sure they'll do fine, After all, they're already privileged and will have no trouble finding work. Right? It is the time now. We need to have this discussion and not delay. With that, on to today's episode, which is about the man who is deeply linked with the monarchy. Not just in the UK, but almost every monarchy in Europe. John of Gaunt is an ancestor to every sitting monarch in Europe, except Andorra and the Vatican. I even checked those last two and can't find evidence that Johann Enric Vives y Sicilia or Emmanuel Macron or Pope Francis are descended from John of Gaunt. But any genealogists out there who have looked more deeply, let me know. It's always possible. Throughout my reading for these episodes, I went in with one question. 
Why was John of Gaunt so unpopular around the time of his father's death? Not why is he perceived that way now? Thanks again, Shakespeare. But why was he seen that way in his time? John of Gaunt looms large in history, but unlike his much-loved oldest brother, he was not respected by many in his time. What was most surprising as I read the reason? It appears that he was unpopular because he tried to stand up for what he perceived was his family's dignity and nobility. It won't be until the second and third episodes on this subject that I'll be able to get into the details of this, but keep it in mind throughout the first two episodes. Despite his military wins, he would never be the war hero the Black Prince was. Despite being excluded from Richard II's Regency Council, he would be blamed for his nephew's excesses and tyranny. Despite being completely loyal, he was accused of wanting to usurp his nephew's throne. This isn't to say that some of the charges against him aren't true. He lived an ostentatious lifestyle while the country was under a great tax burden. His military wins were equal by his losses. His claim to the throne of Castile, unlike his father's to France, was seen as a bit of a joke. For the purpose of this series, John of Gaunt is rare, a double past, a man who had a claim to two thrones, England and Castile, and was king of neither, though his children and grandchildren would take care of that for him. I try to remember to be sympathetic to each of my subjects while covering them, but always presenting the truth. You'll remember Robert Kurthaus, the first subject, is written about as a poor leader, whose father passed him over in favor of a younger son. But on further research, he turns out to be a more than acceptable leader, a skilled military commander, and a man able to command loyalty while being deeply pious and attempting to uphold his treaties. I'm finding John of Gaunt to be very similar. A man with many failings, but many strengths, who was loyal first to his father as king, and then to his nephew as king, to the detriment of his own son and younger brother. I am eternally grateful to John of Gaunt's most recent biographers, Helen Carr for her book, The Red Prince, and Catherine Warner for her book, John of Gaunt. I highly recommend both of these. Helen Carr's is a narrative format with extensive references. Catherine Warner's makes a great use of financial records of both John of Gaunt and the royal court in general. John of Gaunt was born on the 6th of March, 1340 in Ghent. Three months earlier, his father, Edward III, had been officially declared the King of France in Ghent. Edward III returned to England in February of 1340, a month before his son was born. Philippa of Hainaut, Edward's wife and John's mother, could not travel back to England due to her pregnancy. Edward's lack of presence would lead to rumors in the future that John of Gaunt was the son of a fishmonger, not the king. But this was just gossip and not possibly true. Philippa's pregnancy was well documented, and she would have been attended by plenty of high-ranking women, none of whom would have been interested in switching out a royal child for a commoner. This distinction between royalty, nobility, and commoners will come into play multiple times over these three episodes, and it is pure classism. Ghent at this time was in Flanders, but in modern-day Belgium. As the third surviving son of Edward III, Gaunt was third in line to the throne from birth. He was likely named after his godfather, Duke John III of Brabant, who was a cousin of his father. There is one other possibility. 
He could have been named after his late uncle, John of Eltham, Edward III's beloved brother who had died in 1336. Philippa and John of Gaunt returned to England in November of 1340. John of Gaunt was only 15 months younger than Lionel of Antwerp, and 15 months older than Edmund of Langley. The three spent their childhoods in their mother's household. As I've noted in Lionel's episode, the family of Edward III and Philippa of Hainaut were very close, loyal, and loving. The royal couple's children were expected to be educated, active physically, and pious. It appears that all their children could speak, read, and write English, French, and Latin at a minimum. John of Gaunt was raised with his near-aged brothers, Lionel and Edmund, Lionel's wife-to-be, Elizabeth de Burr, and his older sisters, Isabella and Joan of Woodstock. Gaunt was made Earl of Richmond in September of 1342. This made him outrank his older brother, Lionel, for a few years. Not long after his eighth birthday, in 1348, John of Gaunt would lose one of his sisters, Joan to the plague. I mentioned this in the Black Prince's episode, but I thought I should include more here since John of Gaunt was raised with Joan, and her death would greatly impact his future. Joan was traveling to Castile to marry Peter, or Pedro of Castile, who was the crown prince of Castile at the time. She would die en route. Once Peter became king of Castile, he earned the sobriquet, The Cruel. While we can't know if Peter would have treated Joan poorly, his eventual wife, Blanche of Bourbon, married to secure a French alliance, was, well, abandoned three days after their marriage. She was then imprisoned to prevent escape or rescue, and eventually likely murdered. Peter claimed that this marriage was bigamous due to his supposed earlier marriage to his longtime mistress, Maria de Padilla. Maria was the mother of Peter's legitimate daughters, Constance and Isabella. Try to remember their names for episode two. We don't know how John of Gaunt felt about his sister's death, but based on his reaction to the deaths of those he loved later in life and his father's reaction, it's likely he was devastated. Edward III wrote a heartbreaking letter to the Castilian royal couple after the loss of his daughter, and she was greatly missed. Joan's death didn't end the Spanish-English alliance immediately, but by 1350 it had broken down, and Peter, now King of Castile, was in alliance with France. On the 29th of August that year, 10-year-old John of Gaunt joined his father and the Black Prince for a sea battle. This is the Battle of Winchelsea, mentioned in the Black Prince's episode, where Henry of Lancaster rescued the Black Prince and John of Gaunt from near a certain death. Catherine Warner pointed out that Foissat stated Edward III brought John of Gaunt along because, quote, he much loved him, end quote. Catherine and I agree that the best way to show that might have been to leave him on land. Just a suggestion, Edward. While Henry of Lancaster was huge militarily in the Black Prince's life, his impact on John of Gaunt's life was more personal, as we'll see in just a moment. Henry and his wife Isabella had two daughters, Maud and Blanche. Henry of Lancaster's father was one of Edward III's great uncles on his mother's side and a second cousin on his father's side. I mentioned in my discussion of Edward III's entail in Lionel's episode that the earldom of Lancaster hadn't always been loyal, but under Henry of Lancaster, they would support the crown completely. 
I will come back to the earldom of Lancaster in this episode. And it is incredibly important to John's story and the story of all future kings of England. There is just one more person to mention in John of Gaunt's childhood, his oldest brother, the Black Prince. I've noticed in my reading that the two were featured together regularly. It turns out that John of Gaunt may have been his oldest brother's favorite sibling. Now, I'll be doing an episode on Edmund of Woodstock, which will probably explain why he wasn't his oldest brother's favorite. I'm sorry, Edmund. I can't seem to find an explanation as to why Lionel wouldn't be, but it does appear that John was the favorite of everyone except the common people of Southern England. When John of Gaunt left his mother's care, his military training was entrusted to his oldest brother. Not long before his first true military campaign on, on land, John of Gaunt's youngest brother, Thomas of Woodstock, was born. In August of 1355, John of Gaunt, along with Lionel of Antwerp and Edmund of Langley, joined their father in France for his attempt to bring King John II to battle. I have read suggestions that John of Gaunt had been knighted prior to the Battle of Winchelsea, but it's more likely that his knighting occurred in 1355, along with both of his brothers. As you may remember, John II could not be convinced to battle, which would have been disappointing to Edward III, his three sons, and their soldiers. While France wouldn't provide battle, Scotland would. In January of 1356, when John of Gaunt was only 15, Edward III would recapture Berwick with the help of his three middle sons. John of Gaunt may not have had a huge battle like Cressy to earn his spurs, and this may be part of the reason he wasn't seen as the military hero his older brother was. He will have plenty of battles coming up, but first, he needed to get married. <laughs> yes, like Lionel, John of Gaunt was married young, though not as young. Before his wedding, he had an affair with one of his mother's ladies-in-waiting, who gave birth to a daughter, Blanche, in 1359. Yes, he may have named his first child after his future wife. Spoilers. It does appear he took care of his child, as would be expected, and she was married to a man of good standing and station. While many of you will know that most of John of Gaunt's illegitimate children would be legitimized, Blanche would not on account of her parents never marrying. Edward III and Philippa wanted to arrange good marriages for all of their children. Their eldest had two advantages over his younger brothers. First, he would theoretically be king, making him one of the most eligible bachelors in Europe. Tell me how that worked out, Edward. Second, he was very wealthy by virtue of his duchy. Their other sons needed to be provided with wealth, and if Edward III bestowed too much of his kingdom on any of the spares, it could lead to eventual civil war. The easiest way to do this was to marry them off to wealthy women with no brothers, as they had done with Lionel when he had married Elizabeth de Burr. Inheritance was not unlike royal succession. Everything goes to the oldest son, then his children, and if he dies without issue, on to the next son and so on until there are no sons left. However, if the only heirs are daughters, then the holdings are divided equally. Titles could sometimes pass through daughters. John of Gaunt's marriage was like this. His wife, Blanche of Lancaster, was the younger daughter of Henry of Lancaster. Her older sister, Maud, had been married to William I, Duke of Bavaria, in 1352. 
Sadly for Maud, her husband was institutionalized not long after their marriage due to insanity, and their only child died young. John of Gaunt and Blanche's marriage was much more successful. They were almost exactly two years apart in age, at least according to most sources. Foisat makes her 13 at the time of her marriage and the birth of her first child, but it's a highly unlikely age. It might also imply something questionable on the part of Blanche's mother. Her father was likely in France for an extended period of time, nine months before this possible date of birth, if you get my meaning. Blanche had been born in March of 1342 and was 17 at the time of her marriage. As I've mentioned, Gaunt and Blanche were second cousins and third cousins, at least on their father's sides. Through their mothers, they were distantly related via Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine. Really, don't think about consanguinity too much. That's my job. Papal dispensation was required, of course. Blanche and John of Gaunt would have known each other well before their wedding. They didn't grow up together, but their father's friendship meant they would have spent time together before they married. While their marriage wasn't a love match, it appears they did eventually love each other. It wasn't a hostage marrying their jailer match either. More a financial transaction between friends match. And after this message, you'll hear more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcast og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 1361. John would inherit half of Henry's lands and the title Earl of Lancaster. A year later, he would inherit the remainder on the death of his sister-in-law, Maud. Then, on the 13th of November, 1362, he was created Duke of Lancaster. This is the second creation, 
but John of Gaunt is still referred to as the first Duke of Lancaster. I think I should take a moment to explain how titles work, especially for my American listeners who never have to deal with this. First, the rules of the title depend on how the letters Peyton are written. These letters are, of course, dictated by the sovereign. Most often, they are granted to the original holder and the, quote, heirs of the his body male, end quote, meaning his biological, legitimate sons. There are exceptions to this. For example, John Churchill, first Duke of Marlborough, is one of these. His victories in battle during the early 1700s in the War of the Spanish Succession were regarded as so great that his letters patent were modified on the early death of his son, who predeceased his father without issue, to allow primogeniture through a female line to prevent the dukedom from going extinct. The exact wording is complicated, but this title can pass through female line descendants of the first duke most titles, though, only go through male lines and are therefore extinct when there are no further male line descendants of the original title holder. This is why the Dukes of Clarence I mentioned in Lionel of Antwerp's episode were both the first Duke of Clarence. One was the first creation, the other was the third. Don't worry, the second will come up soon. So, when John of Gaunt became Duke of Lancaster, it was the same title, but a new creation, hence. First Duke of Lancaster, second creation. There are times titles are in attainder or abeyance for various reasons. The Dukedom of Norfolk has gone through this a few times in history. The first creation, beginning with Thomas de Mowbray in 1397, was forfeit between 1399 and 1425 under Richard II before being restored to the first Duke's son. The third creation has had multiple forfeitures, but the current Duke of Norfolk is a male line descendant of the first Duke of Norfolk, third creation. Through his marriage, John of Gaunt's lands earned him between 8,000 and 10,000 pounds annually. It would be in excess of 6 million pounds a year today. He was the wealthiest man in England other than the king. His brothers, Lionel in Ireland and the Black Prince in Gascony, were the wealthiest in their respective areas as well. Much of what we know about Blanche as a person comes from a very special source, Geoffrey Chaucer. Chaucer was a page in Elizabeth de Burgh's household and joined the royal household through Lionel of Antwerp. Chaucer was even held ransom after the siege of Reims and Edward III paid his ransom, which would have been more than 12,000 pounds today. Chaucer had many favorable things to say about Blanche. He described her as tall and beautiful. While wealthy, she wasn't spoiled. His first great work was actually written about Blanche, the Book of the Duchess. John of Gaunt and Blanche would have seven children together. Three would survive childhood. Two would become monarchs. Philippa of Lancaster, who was born less than a year after her parents' marriage, would marry John I of Portugal and Henry Bolingbroke would usurp his cousin, Richard II, and be crowned Henry IV. Spoilers. Their second daughter, Elizabeth of Lancaster, would, along with her paramour, create one of the better scandals of the 14th century. Blanche was very loved by the people of her father's lands, and John of Gaunt spent time building trust with the communities of his new earldoms. Lancaster was more welcoming to him than Leicester. The latter had been inherited from Maud, Blanche's sister, 
and there were accusations that he had poisoned her. This is highly unlikely, but whenever someone young died, poisoning was often a first suggestion. Plus, Charles of Valois had been dead for years. Sadly for John of Gaunt and Blanche, not long after their wedding, two of Gaunt's sisters died. Only his oldest sister, Isabella, was living in 1362. John of Gaunt and Blanche's main residence in London was the Savoy, a luxurious and beautiful palace on the River Thames in the heart of the city. In 1363, John of Gaunt was suggested by Edward III to his uncle, King David II of Scotland, as a possible heir. David II was childless and likely unable to have children, a rare instance of medieval infertility being blamed on a man. Edward III was probably hoping to have one of his sons rule his northern border, instead of one of David's much older nephews. At the time of the suggestion, David was the widower of Edward III's sister, Joan of the Tower. But a year later, he would marry his longtime mistress, Margaret Drummond. He was probably hoping to have children with her. She did, after all, have one son from a previous marriage. But it does appear that David was unable to father children. None of his numerous mistresses had claimed to have children with him either. David had spent the first 12 years of his reign as a minor, under regents, part of it as an exile in the court of the French king. In 1346, he was captured during the Battle of Neville's Cross. He would be Edward III's prisoner for the next 11 years. Yes, at one point, there were three kings living in England, two as hostages. Good job on that, Edward. <laughs> in October of 1366, John of Gaunt left England to join his brother, the Black Prince, in Gascony. He would be joining his brother's army to assist Peter of Castile in his battle to retake the throne from his bastard, literally, half-brother, Henry Trastamara. Gaunt would be joining his brother, the Black Prince, and an army of up to 10,000 men to assist Peter of Castile. I'll stick with his anglicized name since most of my listeners are native English speakers. Peter had promised to pay the Black Prince the cost of this expedition and potential battles. Their cousin, Charles II of Navarre, had promised them both passage through his lands and his military assistance. As we know, Charles was one to burn bridges. So while he allowed his cousin's forces through, he managed to get captured before any fighting occurred. One really important thing to discuss quickly, this war, while being fought by two Castilian leaders, was a bit of a proxy war. Yes, Peter and Henry both wanted to be king of Castile, but England and France both wanted their man on the throne, mainly so they could call on their ally for Spanish naval power. Traveling through the Pyrenees, the mountain range that made up a great deal of Navarre's territory and divided Castile and Navarre from Gascony into Castile would have been terrifying most of the year. But especially in February, when the Black Prince and John of Gaunt left Gascony. While most of their troops made it over safely, the chroniclers describe a crossing I would like to avoid. And as many of you know, I like mountains. Luck was on their side. It helps that the Black Prince was there, because luck and military invasions really was his thing. A large part of Henry Trastamara's troops were comprised of former members of the Black Prince's armies who were acting as soldiers of fortune throughout France. Due to their love and respect of the Black Prince, they wouldn't fight against him, and left Henry Trastamara's side to fight for the Black Prince. Not, not Peter. They were fighting for the Black Prince. 
Prior to the battle, the Black Prince had written to Henry Trastamara, asking him to surrender. In his letter, the Black Prince referred to Henry as the Count of Trastamara, not the King of Castile. While I had mentioned in the Black Prince's episode that covered this time period, he hadn't really wanted to fight at the start. He was fully committed to seeing this conflict through. Henry Trastamara did attempt to sway the Black Prince in his response by sharing a few of Peter of Castile's crimes. I shared these in the Black Prince's episode, but just to recap, he abandoned his French, possibly bigamously married wife, Blanche of Bourbon, before imprisoning her and likely having her murdered. He had murdered his half-brother, Henry Trastamara's twin, Frederic, and probably worse for the deeply Catholic faithful of England, France, and Spain, he had allied with the Emirate of Granada, the Muslim kingdom that ruled a large part of southern Spain. We already know who won the Battle of Nehera, because it happened more than 600 years ago, and because I told you about it in the Black Prince's episode. Plus, we all know the Black Prince doesn't lose open battles. John of Gaunt did lead the very successful vanguard. He was joined in this action by John Chandos, which is lucky for us because it means his herald recorded Chandos's recollections of the vanguard. John of Gaunt was, quote, full of valor. Everyone marveled, looking at his great prowess, end quote. While the vanguard was important to the battle, it was, of course, decided by English longbowmen. The Chandos herald even describes the arrows as falling thicker than rain falls in winter. As someone from Oregon, that's a lot of arrows. It would have been a decisive victory for Peter of Castile's side had his brother been killed or captured. But even the Black Prince didn't have that much luck. Henry Trastamara fled to France under the protection of Charles V. Peter of Castile showed his cruel streak almost immediately after the battle. As I've mentioned in earlier episodes, chivalry and treating hostages well, both for ransom and because it was honorable, were very important to Edward III and his sons. Peter of Castile did not hold the same values. He attacked and killed a hostage, Inigo Lopez de Orozco, a former ally of his who had joined Henry Trastamara. John of Gaunt and the Black Prince were appalled by this behavior, as I'm sure the rest of you are. To prevent further murders, the Black Prince refused to ransom soldiers to Peter, costing him needed funds. Instead, he strongly suggested that Peter pardon them. Most of these pardoned soldiers, intelligently, fled to Henry Trastamara. Honestly, who could blame them? While Peter had promised to pay the Black Prince for this war, even swearing an oath to do so, he took his time. Dysentery broke out in the English Gascon camp. This is when the Black Prince got sick for the first time. John of Gaunt seems to have avoided the illness, but his brother's illness meant that their army needed to return to Gascony in September of 1367, without their money. Peter of Castile would be killed by his brother, Henry Trastamara, two years later, after the Battle of Montilla. Henry stabbed Peter to death in March of 1369, when Peter was betrayed after becoming trapped in the castle of Montilla. Peter's daughters, Constance and Isabella, had been sent as hostages to the Black Prince's court in Bordeaux sometime after 1366, when Constance was about 12. They were kept in Bayonne, under the Black Prince's protection. According to Peter's will, the husband of his oldest daughter, Constance, 
was to be the king of Castile, Jury Ux Oris. I'll come back to them soon. Now, this was a long episode, and each of John of Gaunt's three episodes are long, so I hope you enjoyed it. I want to welcome two new patrons, David W. and Ashley G. Thank you for joining us, and I'm so happy to have you both with us. Patrons have also been given a new reward. You'll get to see my history comics a week before they post. They're often on this day comics, and each post will be titled with the day the comic will be posted publicly. I'm really excited to get feedback on these before posting to the general public. One more thing, please get all questions in for the Q&A at the end of this series. Your questions don't need to be about the Hundred Years' War, the Wars of the Roses, the War of Breton Succession. All of history is open. I'll be here next week for part two. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at PastPod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash PastPod. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakker.